We've been working our way through uh, a letter in the New Testament, uh, the letter to the Romans. It was written by uh, a man named Paul, uh, uh, the resurrected Jesus of Nazareth appeared to Paul, calling and designating him as his authorized spokesperson to speak on his behalf, uh, to communicate the good news of the gospel, talking about Jesus' rule and reign, that Jesus has come to deliver and save sinners through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Uh, he's designated Paul to be the, the, the chief of his authorized spokespersons who takes the message to the Gentiles. This is non-Jews. And Paul has been planting churches uh, around uh, Asia Minor, but he's yet to make it to Rome. And he desires to go to Rome so that he can then go to Spain. And he's writing to this church in Rome that he didn't plant and that he hasn't visited, but he knows a lot of people there, telling them and laying out for them the foundations of this gospel that Jesus has entrusted him with, that he's proclaiming uh, throughout the world. And he's desiring to see the church in Rome to be a church-planting church, ascending church that will help him to take the gospel to the nations. Uh, but it seems that, uh, that what Paul has gotten word of is that there's opposition to this gospel uh, in the, within Rome. Uh, a lot of it seems to come from Jews who don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the promised one of God. Uh, but there's also opposition, it seems, within the church that Jews who have come to believe Jesus as the Messiah... Uh, fail to understand the, how this good news can be for the Gentiles without them keeping the ceremonial law, without them becoming Jews through circumcision and keeping the food laws and other means themselves. And so opposition has arisen. And so Paul is, has been writing, and he's, we've seen over the past several weeks, that what Paul has shown us is that we will be judged before God on whether we've kept His law or not. And Paul has said that the, the judgment that will come to everyone in and of ourselves will be that we've fallen short of God's law. We aren't good. We aren't righteous. We all deserve the wrath of God. But the good news is that God comes to save sinners, granting us His righteousness in Jesus. And that comes not through works of the law, but it comes through faith. Well, how can He convince the Jews of this. Well, he's going to go to the Old Testament Scriptures. As we see uh, this week, really what Paul is, is doing is, in some ways you can see it as, as him doing a, a Bible study, uh, a, a short little sermon from Genesis and the life of Abraham, the one that the Jews would trace and see as their father, the one that they would see as, as the, 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 the chief example of righteousness and obedience. What can they learn? What can Paul show them about this, uh, Abraham's life and the good news of the gospel shown there in the Old Testament scriptures? Because the question would be, is, is there uh, two ways to be saved? Is it through, through works? Or is it through faith? This is Paul is going to lay out for us uh, this morning. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 4 of the book of Romans, looking at verses 1 through 12. 
If you're following along in one of the black Bibles in your seats, this is on page 941. And kids, this morning, if you want to draw a picture, um, uh, Paul is going to be uh, speaking uh, to us and, and looking at Genesis chapter 15. And in Genesis chapter 15, when God speaks to Abraham, one of the things that he tells Abraham to do is to go out and look at the stars and count them if he can. And it says that as he began to do that, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So how about if you draw me a picture of Abraham looking out at the stars and believing and trusting in God and his promises. That Paul will explain to us as we go through here this morning. So let's look at uh, Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to your people. We thank you that we can clearly see demonstrated and proclaimed to us the graciousness of your character, the graciousness of your covenant and your promises, both in the Old Testament and the New. We thank you that that the Old Testament is Christian Scripture just as much as the New, because there our covenant God reveals himself and that righteousness comes through faith. We pray this morning that we would see more and more your holiness, our sin, your grace, the sufficiency of Jesus, and that we would rest and hope in Him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, Paul, in the last part of chapter 3 that we saw last week, was speaking about justification, a, a legal term of speaking about a judge declaring one righteous, declaring one who had as if you had uh, fulfilled the law. 
the question that he's going to begin to address and that we're going to look at and that he applies as he's looking at Abraham's life first begins with this, because this is very, very important. This justification, this good news of the gospel that Paul proclaims, that it's possible for us to be accepted by God. What is, what is the means of that justification? How does it become ours? What's the instrument by which we lay claim to it? Notice, notice what Paul says here. He's going to say the means of justification is faith. Notice where he goes. He goes to the Old Testament. Then verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Paul's saying, remember, we saw at the end of chapter, uh, chapter 3, Paul says there is no reason for anyone to boast. Boasting is excluded and under the, the principle that God relates and deals with his people is not through works, but through faith. So is it even possible for Abraham to be justified by works? No, Paul says. Works are not the means of justification. Where do we figure out? How do we understand what the means are? Well, Paul directs us to the Scriptures. Because when we have a question, when we don't understand what's going on, or there's dispute or uh, conflict, argument over what is true, where do we go? We resolve it by looking at God's Word. Not the opinions of man, but what does God say? And Paul directs us to the Old Testament Scriptures, particularly to the life of Abraham. Paul says, do you want to see and recognize and understand that works aren't the means to justification? Works aren't the means to you being made right with God? It's faith. How do we know that? Well, look at what he says in verse 3. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Belief. Abraham is trusting in God. It's that belief, that trust, that faith that is counted to him. That's the means by which God justifies and declares him. Look at how he he goes on in verse 4. Now to him who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Paul's saying, let's, let's even think about our relationship with God. If works are the means to justification, now all of a sudden we've completely changed the relational dynamic between you and God. Does God, the Creator, need anything from us? Does He owe us anything? No, Paul says. Everything we receive from Him is gift. Except for His wrath and His justice against that. That we are owed due to our rebellion against Him. Paul will touch on that in subsequent chapters. But remember what he's told us. Salvation, redemption, comes as a gift of God's grace. And if we're working before God to earn our salvation, now all of a sudden, we have to say God is on the hook. He is obligated. He must now save me because of what I have done. Now it completely turns it around. Who is the champion in the salvation? Who is the one who deserves the praise, the glory? Well, it's me. 
God's just doing what he owes because what I've done. And Paul says that's not what it is at all. He says the means of justification isn't through works. It's through faith. And notice how he says, to the one who doesn't work, his wages are counted as a gift. Uh, Oh, sorry, for the one who doesn't work, uh, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Uh, Again, as he goes down in chapter 6, reiterating again that it's not works that are the means of salvation. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. You will never be declared righteous before God for what you have done. It only happens and it only occurs through faith and hope and trusting in Jesus, Paul says. There's too many times we can get confused and thinking that what we need to do in order to be accepted by God For him to say, you are righteous, you are accepted, you are forgiven, is that we have to do good things. Paul is saying, notice, to the one uh, who does not work but believes, it is him whose faith is justified, or whose faith is counted to him as righteousness. It's not your works at all. Think back to your life. God is not impressed as it relates to him declaring you righteous with any good things that you have done, with your church attendance, with your giving, with your helping your neighbor, with you not stealing, with the way that you use your, uh, your, your finances, with your reading your Bible, with your coming here this morning, uh, with uh, the, the charitable donations that you give, with your baptism. Paul is saying if you think that those things are going to merit you anything before God and that he will look upon those good things and declare you righteous, you are mistaken. That is a complete distortion of the gospel because you're adding your works, what you have done. Paul says don't work. Don't work for your salvation. Don't work for your justification. Rest and trust in him because God counts you righteous apart from your works. Faith is counted to us as righteousness. This is important for us to understand. Uh, particularly, Paul's going to get into uh, talking about circumcision later, but uh, in, in some uh, churches, what is proclaimed is that the means by which we come to be saved and justified before God is our works. Things that we do what we merit before God for how we perform and keep His law or follow man-made rules. Uh, Others have distorted it in saying that the means by which we are justified isn't faith, but it's baptism. That's what the, the Roman Catholic Church teaches. The means by which you are justified is baptism. No, Paul says. It's not through any work at all. Even your baptism. It's through faith. Uh, the uh, another way, especially with our, our community, a, a group of churches that's pretty influential in this area are those who are part of the restoration movement from the churches of Christ. They would say that baptism is essential for salvation. What does Paul say here? It's through faith. It's not through anything you've done. Your baptism 
does not merit, earn, count, obligate God is not necessary. It's the one who doesn't work. It's the one who trusts in Jesus, he says, who has faith. That's going to be important for us to understand then. Paul says that Abraham is believing. He says that we're justified by faith. Well, what is this justifying faith? What kind of faith is Paul talking about? One of the things that we should see here is it's it's not a quantity. The important thing about faith is the object. Who are you trusting in? If it's your works, you're trusting in yourself. But the faith that Paul commends, notice what he tells us. What does he he say? Uh, In verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. The, 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 The direction, the object of this faith is in a God who graciously redeems and saves and forgives sinners. And an aspect of, of this, of what we're, we're seeing here, is that it necessitates a recognition that I am ungodly, that I am a sinner, that I have no hope apart from a God who would graciously look upon me and declare me righteous. I, I must look to a God who has provided for me what I cannot do in and of myself. Think about how this shows itself in the life of Abraham. If we look back in Genesis, not quite to chapter 15 yet, but back in chapter 3, when Adam and Eve rebel against God, the first thing when God is is bringing curse and, and light of the rebellion, He speaks not first to Adam and Eve, He speaks first to Satan. He curses Satan, but in that curse, he gives this promise. He says in 3.15 of Genesis, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring or your seed and her offspring or seed. He, one particular offspring, one particular son from the woman, will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. The promise is is that a human will come that will deliver the mortal blow to the enemy of God's people and deal with and fix all the problems that sin has has brought into the world. The rest of Genesis is an unfolding and seeking to answer the question and see how and when and where will this seed come from, this offspring, this promised one. And when we get to Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, that's when we find that it's going to be through one man and his line, and that man is Abraham. But the interesting thing, if, if you're going to say, if you're going to pick somebody to be the one through whom a child comes, you wouldn't have picked Abraham. Abraham's old at this point. Not only is he old, his wife is old, and she's barren unable in and of themselves to bring about this promise. But also, notice what we've seen is that the promise is that one will come who will deliver God's people from their sin. Abraham falls, in, and that means too, Abraham is not a righteous and a good guy. He's an ungodly one. In fact, if you look at Joshua chapter 24, 
Joshua is reminding the people about God's work in their lives going all the way back to Abraham. And this is what Joshua says in Joshua 24, chapter 2. Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. At the time that God called Abraham and said, Go, Abraham was serving other gods, not the God of, uh, of the Bible. God in His grace and His mercy calls this ungodly one and gives him the promise that I'm going to bring through you the one who will deal with sin and the one who will bring blessing to the nations. And Abraham is recognizing that it is this God, this God who promises to redeem and save ungodly sinners that he believes and trusts in Him, recognizing his own sin, recognizing the need of a good and gracious and powerful God to provide what he can't that would deliver him. And God looks at that faith, that hope, that trust, that promise in him. And God says, Abraham, I am declaring you righteous. I am justifying you. I am accepting you. And you are in a right relationship with me. Not because of anything you've done, because you couldn't do anything. It's because of my grace and my mercy. That is the good news still today. There has always and only been one way to be saved. And that is by grace, through faith, and the promised provision of God. Abraham looked forward, longing for that promised offspring to come. He didn't know his name. He didn't know where he was going to be born. He didn't quite even know exactly how God would accomplish it. But he was trusting in the one who would come. What about us today? We're looking back the other way. We're looking back the other way and we know that promised one. Because Jesus of Nazareth, God the Son, took on flesh, entered into our world to redeem and save us from our sin. How are we saved? How are we justified? What are the means by which we are declared right with God? It is by believing and trusting in the God who justifies and saves sinners through the work of Jesus. It is only through Christ that we will be saved. And any other message, any other gospel is a false gospel and will lead you to hell, not to redemption and salvation in Jesus. The good news of the gospel is you do not work, you trust in Jesus. Jesus plus anything negates the gospel that Paul is promising. We must rest and hope in Christ and only Christ. Well, that brings a question. If, if this, this message of justification, of being made right with God, is what Paul is proclaiming, if it's clear that that has always been the good news message of the gospel... That that was what is true in the Old Testament, and it's clear, and that's what's true in the New Testament. What's the result? The means is faith. It's not works. It's not baptism. It's not church attendance. It's trusting in the God who forgives and saves sinners through Jesus. What's the result? The result of this justification. When God justifies us, what happens? Notice notice what what he says in verse 5. He is, we're believing in the God who justifies 
the ungodly. So it's a, it's, a, it's a declaration. It's something that God speaks about those who are ungodly. He, he moves and shifts from this, this point to, to direct us and support not just from Abraham, but from the life of David. Notice what David says about this righteousness that God gives to his people through faith. In verse 6, Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Do you hear those words? Do you hear the good news result of God's justifying work in the life of a believer? Listen to what he says. Your lawless deeds are forgiven. Your sin is covered. God is not going to count your sin against you. The the good news of the gospel is that that God is not going to count this sin that is mine against me. What do I what do I deserve? What should happen? It's clear all of us are ungodly. We're rebels. We're not righteous. We've sinned. We've uh, done lawless, treacherous deeds. But God will not count those against us who look and hope and trust and rest in Jesus. This should be something that, like David says here, should give us a response of, of, of worship and gratitude. Um, Back in 2009, a guy named John Muzinski was in New Hampshire. He walked into a, a, a gas station and bought a pack of cigarettes. He used his debit card to pay for it. A couple hours later, he went on his Bank of America. I don't know if they had apps back then. It's been too long. Uh, and he checked to see what his balance was in his account. And he noticed that he had a $15 overdraft charge. He'd overdrafted his account. It seemed uh, he had been debited. Something had been counted to him. A great debt. You don't know how great that debt was? i got to read this. It's so big. 23 quadrillion. 148 trillion, 855 billion, 308 million, 184,500 dollars for that pack of cigarettes. It took him two hours to work this out with Bank of America before they would not count that debt against him and take away the $15 overdraft charge. But do do you recognize, though, what's here? They're not counting a debt against him that never was his. We're in a completely different spot. Our sin should be counted against us. You think his debt was big? What, What kind of debt do we owe? And have we merited and earned due to our rebellion against the infinite, righteous, holy one? Just to think about this, let's say Josh was to pay back that and he took all of his dollar bills and he started counting them out. You know how long it would count 
by counting one number a second, how long it would take you to count out uh, or $23 quadrillion. It would take you $31,709,791 years. One at a time. Could you ever do it? You wouldn't even be able to count out your debt. Do we think we could earn back and merit before our God to ever make up for the debt we owe Him? But hear the good news. God has said, don't even worry about counting it. I've canceled it. I've paid for it. I am not counting your debt against you. I'm counting it towards another. Towards my son. Remember that good news we saw last week. That God can be just and the justifier because Jesus has been put forward to satisfy our debt the wrath that we deserve. But that's not the end of it. That's just half of the good news. That that your sin's not counted against you. That your sin has been covered. That your lawless deeds have been forgiven. Notice as well, it's not just that God doesn't count the sin which is ours against us, but He counts righteousness which isn't ours to us. Remember what he's been saying this, this whole time. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. We're to believe in the one who justifies the ungodly and his faith is counted as righteousness. David speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. What is that righteousness? Remember, Paul's been explaining it to us the whole time. Remember, it, the way that we're going to be judged is how are we living according to the standard of God's law and according to the standard of God's character and His person and who He is. He's the infinite Holy One. I don't know if we're aware of this and can comprehend it, but infinite is even more than quadrillion. That means, will we ever measure up to the positive Value of righteousness that God has credited in His account. But what it is telling us is that we will be counted righteous. Whose righteousness? God's righteousness. Remember we saw that back in Romans 1. The good news of the Gospel is that God is re- the righteousness of God is revealed to humanity that can be received through faith. God is promising to count to your account righteousness that isn't yours. And where does it come from? It comes from Jesus, who lived perfectly, who not only didn't sin, but He always perfectly, infinitely fulfilled the law of God. A double exchange happens. Paul explains this uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in this way. Listen to this double exchange, this, uh, this way that, that justification happens. Not just the forgiving of our sin and not counting it against us, but that what is credited or counted to us is righteousness. The end of 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin. That is taking our sin that should be counted to us, and Paul is crediting it, or God is crediting it and counting it on Christ. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. 
the good news of the gospel. Not only is our debt canceled, we're not just brought back to zero, we're brought back to positive infinity. Whose righteousness is that? It's not mine. It's not, it's not counted by anything I've done. You are not going to be declared righteous by God through any, uh, according to any good works you've done. Even through the work of the Spirit, transforming and sanctifying you. And we do do good things through the power of the Spirit. But that is not the basis of your being declared righteous before God. It's the righteousness of God that Christ has secured for you. The result of this justification that comes through faith is that your sin is not counted to you and Christ's righteousness is. Who is this God? Who, who is this gracious one that would do something like this for us? Because it's the only way that we could be saved to be brought into His presence. This holy God that Isaiah, we just read about earlier in the service. Woe is me! How can I come into His presence? Only when He says your sin is taken away. Only when He says I'm granting you my righteousness. And that can only happen by faith in Jesus. This is great news. This is really good news. But remember... The controversy in Rome is, who is this good news for? Who can experience this blessing that Abraham's life shows us, that David proclaims and celebrates? Is it only for Jews? Is it only for those who have been circumcised? This is an important question, not just for them back there. Because... We are reading the same Scriptures. We're following the same God. If Paul has it wrong, we have it wrong. If the Jews who are challenging Paul here, who've distorted the message of the Gospel, if they have it right, then we are still unjustified. We've been living a sham and proclaiming something false here all morning. Who is the good news for? Who can experience this? Must we become Jews in the flesh in order to be recipients of this justification? Notice what Paul says. Look in verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised? or also for the uncircumcised. We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? This is where Paul's going. He's going to say, let's, let's look back and chronologically see what happened. Because uh, if we can look to Abraham's life and see, was he declared righteous while he was circumcised or before he was circumcised? And that's going to help us understand how does God operate? How does He relate His covenant promises to His people? Notice what He says. How then was it counted to Him? Was it before or after He had been circumcised? It was not after, but before He was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that He had by faith while He was still uncircumcised. Abraham was declared righteous when he was not circumcised. Abraham was declared righteous not because he was circumcised, but because he had faith. 
What the Jews missed out on and misunderstood is that sign of circumcision was a sign. It was pointing to something. What was it pointing to? What does Paul tell us here? It was a sign as, uh, it was the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. It was a sign of righteousness through faith. They confused it. They confused the sign for the thing signified. Why are we all sitting in here this morning? Why is no one sitting, standing out there by the sign that says Harbor Presbyterian Church outside? It says gathered worship on there at 10 o'clock. I saw zero people. Stop out there and wait for us to get started. Because you understand, that's a sign. That is not where we're worshiping. It's designating that we come in here and gather. If you stand out there, you're going to miss everything. What Abraham has done, or what the Jews are doing, is they're confusing the sign. They're thinking that circumcision was the way that that was necessary to be justified, to be saved. Paul's saying no. It's always been righteousness through faith. Abraham was declared righteous before he had circumcision. Why would God do this? Well, because from the beginning, from the very beginning, God's goal, His aim, His covenant promise was always that humanity would be made righteous through faith. Notice what he says. The purpose was to make Him the Father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make Him the Father of the uncircumcised, who were not merely circumcised, but who also walked in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Notice the difference Paul says. What is the difference between being justified, being saved, being declared righteous? It's faith. If you are not circumcised yet have faith, you will be justified. If you are circumcised but don't have faith, you will not be justified, Paul says. He already told us this at the end of chapter 2. He's just reiterating again. It's important for us to understand this. Righteousness comes through faith. God always has given His people covenant signs to confirm and authenticate the promises that He's given. Think about the sign given to Noah in that covenant. What was it? It's a rainbow put in the sky. God promising and saying, trust me, I will never destroy the world again through water. God gives Abraham a covenant sign. I'm going to be God to you and your children. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be a blessing to the nations. Children are going to come from you. I'm going to uh, give you a land. God gives him this covenant sign to point to his promises. It was to be applied to Abraham and his children. God gives us a covenant sign now. Baptism. Again, pointing us to the promise. Baptism does not save. Just like circumcision doesn't save. If you aren't baptized yet trust in Jesus, you will be saved. That's what Jesus told the thief on the cross, right? Today you will be with me in paradise. But if you are baptized and you do not have faith in Jesus, you will not be saved. The same dynamics are at play. We must look and trust in Christ. Application for us here. If, you, if, if you're thinking, and sometimes this question is asked, if you were to stand before God, you die on your way home today, and you were to stand before God and He's to ask you, why should I let you into my kingdom? Why should I accept you? 
If you answer anything other than because you promised that Jesus would be my righteousness as I look and hope and trust in Him, then you have the wrong answer. If you say, well, because I was baptized, because I went to church, because I did good things. No. The only way to be made right with God is through faith in Christ. So if you've been baptized this morning, if the covenant sign has been applied to you, whether that happened when you were an infant and you don't remember it, or it happened six months ago as an adult and you do remember it, do not trust in that sign. It's not the sign itself. It's Christ. That's what the sign points to. Look to that sign and respond to, what it's, to whom it's pointing you. Rest and hope and trust in Jesus. There find your confidence. There find your peace. Only there in Him will you find your justification and salvation. This is the good news of the Gospel. Can you believe that it's for you? You don't need to be circumcised, Gentiles. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. We're going to see next week how Paul continues to go on. Notice he says that Abraham is our father. We are brought in to the people of God. Abraham is our father through faith. And the promises God gave to him are for us. The one Paul focuses on this week is righteousness through faith. We'll see some others next week, but just let that sink in. As you look to Jesus in faith, God says, you are mine. Your sins are forgiven. And I'm declaring you righteous. Come into my family. I love you. Have no fear. Have no doubts. You are right with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that you save sinners, not through what we've done, but through what Christ has done. May we cease our works and look and rest in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.